Smart, enabling organisations and individuals to be disability inclusive and accessible. Hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast episode. My name is Jodie Greer and I'm the founder of Be People Smart. Right throughout season two, we are myth busting. So today, the we with me is Stephen Howe, and I'm going to get Stephen to introduce himself. Okay. Hi, Jodie. Thank you for uh, inviting me on the show. Uh, my name's Stephen Howe. So I'm the UK and Ireland country sales manager for Backer Elkhausen. Uh, Backer Elkhausen are a designer and manufacturer of accessories to support all digital workers. Um, so that's yeah, a bit of an overview as to what the company does. In terms of myself, my role is to go out and support the resellers who sell our products for us in the UK, but also getting involved in supporting end user commercial businesses, physiotherapists, occupational health professionals when they want to know more about our products and how we can support and help the people that they engage with. Excellent. Thanks, Stephen. And what about you personally? I mean, obviously. It's your job. You get paid to do this. But is this something yeah. you're passionate about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's I'd, I've been with Baccarel Cowson for just over three years now, but but previously had worked in the, the sort of the commercial supply sector for 17 years before that. But what really interested me with Bacca is I'd had some engagement with them previously where I used to work. And it, the, the, the whole ethos is around work smart, feel good. That's the company's sort of mantra, headline, slogan, whatever you would call it. And it really sort of grabbed me that the company is really focused around the health and well-being of of people, helping people to perform their roles at the highest level possible, but also adding value to their health and well-being at work. Really nice to hear. And I think a lot of companies could take a leaf out of Bacarel Cowson's book. Um, but you get involved in other stuff as well, don't you? So I know it's linked, but um, yes. I, I am quite a regular for WOW Ergonomics, if you want to tell our listeners what that is. Yeah, absolutely. So WOW Ergonomics is a regular show um, that is run um, for an hour every week with Graham Cove. I guess the background to it is if you go back, reverse back, and it's that that old word, word COVID that still keeps coming up in conversations. But but my role um is very previous to, to COVID or previous to March 2020 was very much being customer facing, going out to see people, advising, supporting, being in parts of exhibitions, etc. And of course, when COVID sort of hit, my sort of role then sort of had the brakes or the handbrake put on very, very quickly. So what was I going to do? Because I couldn't go out and see people. So um, I knew Graham Coth, who obviously was a, a workplace assessor, and Graham and I got our heads together initially with Nicola Adams, um, but Graham and I have carried it on. So it's a weekly show that we run where we, I guess, it sort of developed a little bit. It started off focusing around ergonomics and homeworking to start with, and it sort of moved on a little bit. So we now have a regular guest um, from the from the workplace arena but not necessarily around ergonomics so we're just talking about lots of different topics i know you've been on with us um before jody and then we have a quiz and then we touch on lots of different things so it's it's really a way for us to sort of keep those connections keep people talking and thinking about the workplace and keep sort of i guess providing our sort of expert knowledge out there and keep people aware of what's going on because it's such a fluid place with so many changes going on around workplaces and hybrid working. We're just offering some some thoughts and insights as to as to what we see happening and what we think can 
can develop further from that? Yeah, I really like the way it's so lighthearted. But um, one thing, if anyone's going to be tuning in, be prepared. There's always a link somewhere to music because um, yes. Stephen's co-host, Graham, absolutely loves his music and he just manages to sneak it into everything. Yeah. <laughs> so for today, the main myth that we will be busting, mm. although we'll be talking all around ergonomics and we'll be talking certainly about how that impacts workplace well-being, is that unless you have pain, there's no yeah. need to worry about ergonomics. And this is literally something I've heard so many mm. times. And effectively, what we're going to be talking about is why ergonomics are so important for everybody, but also prevention's better than cure. Why would you want to end up in pain and then mm. need to fix it? So we're going to help with that. Um, so on that, Stephen, yes. can you give us any examples of the kind of worst scenarios you've seen when it comes to ergonomics yeah well, there's a huge list i mean <laughs> there's it's it's it, it's a really interesting area i mean i would say jody some of the things that i see that sort of sort of i just put my head in my hands when i see them is things like people working from their bed knees up laptop on the laptop on knees working from a bed working from a sofa i mean some of these things i, I know it's it sort of that sort of home working has this image it conjures up the image that someone's just sitting on a sofa tapping away on a laptop watching the tv in the background whatever it would be but those are some of the most common sort of things that you see that you look and go no no you're just sort of shaking your head and I, and I think actually to be fair the reason I think some people do that is the fact that the way images are projected through the media so be it social media, be it through the media in general, it sort of gives the impression that those sort of working practices and working positions are good and are acceptable. And I think that's what causes some of the issues is that people actually do what they see, but what they're seeing is is wrong in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I often see images, um, even so more subtle, but images on social media now with people sitting in like really appropriate sorry really inappropriate static yeah. chairs and yes. also working directly from a laptop on a table so <laughs> at yes. first sight if you you know if you're not a bit of an ergo geek like I am mm. at first sight you may just think you know yep yeah, they've got a table set up they're sitting in a chair and they're using their laptop but actually it's such bad posture that people end yeah. up long term with so much pain and other health issues mm. but they don't see it coming because again those images portray that as for want of a better term, the norm. Yeah, and it's what you just said there about people working from from a laptop flat on a desk or a table. This is one of Graham and I's sort of big bugbears, and we bang on a bit about this quite regularly on the show. And, and actually, I saw it yesterday. You know, we were we were sort of at an event that was involved at a furniture manufacturer, and we got talking around it as a group. Is a laptop working flat on a table? And as you say, we're sort of the ergo geeks, uh, you and I, um, Jody. But if you're working with a laptop, what you need to do is you need to get the laptop of the laptop screen roughly at eye level. So what you need to do is introduce various bits of pieces of kit, and we won't go into it too specifically. But you get involved in a laptop riser that raises the height of the screen. When you see people working with a laptop flat on a table, I always remember this. There was a statistic somebody told me that your head weighs roughly the same way as a medium sized bowling ball. So if you can imagine all day you're leaning forward, the pressure that's creating across the neck, 
the shoulders, the upper back, simply because you are spending six, seven, eight hours a day leaning forward, hunched over. So that is one of the things that really is sort of frustrating, but it's projected as an acceptable or appropriate way to work. But actually, it's causing, you know, long term issues by people working in that way. I think linked to that, I think there's a lot to be said about education. And when I say education, I mean for people to literally understand Mm. what a healthy work position looks like. And it doesn't have to be overcomplicated, but some people have never actually been exposed to it. And I know certainly in some workplaces, so a lot of companies have a, a kind of mandatory ergonomic assessment. However, depending on the solution they use, what what the user actually sees is maybe like four radio buttons that says, you know, is screen user um, the only way that you can be harmed in the workplace? And you go, no, because you think there must be lots of ways. And there's a few, you know, maybe just three or four very kind of obvious yes, no questions. And if you get them right, that's it. You've completed it and you come back next year. Um, I won't name any of these solutions uh, today. But um, that isn't helpful. And in actual fact, on some of these, you can dive in and you can see a far more detailed way of assessing yourself um, for your you know, ergonomic workplace assessment. But it's in the small print and literally the link's sort of semi hidden. And yeah. so it's not particularly accessible. It's certainly not intuitive. And so people don't understand what it means for them. And actually, some of the simple changes they can make to look after their own well-being. I think one of the, again, one of the sort of things that sort of potentially needs to change around this whole thing is is sort of the, I guess, the regulations or the guidance. So the guidance will come from the HSE, which is the Health and Safety Executive. And on their website, there's a section to not to get HSE mixed up, but with DSE, which is Display Screen Equipment. But there is uh, a checklist on there that talks you through a process as to how you can almost self-assess yourself in terms of what does your setup, how is it working, what changes can you make, what considerations are there. So there's a very, very simple tool. But I think as we've discussed previously, Jody, it is very much just guidance as opposed to the hard and fast law. And I think that's what then leads a lot of a lot of things up to interpretation by organisations as to what they should provide to their employees or equally from an employee perspective, what am I actually entitled to from my employer? I think that's absolutely right. Part of the thing there is when when organisations are very much looking to do what they have to do by law rather than doing what Be People Smart is aiming for, to be human centric because you can't achieve anything without the people that achieve it for you and it's about you know doing something you have a health and safety um obligation of course as an employer yeah but it's not about that minimum obligation it's about doing something that is for the greater good for the well-being of the people that deliver for you and there's so much more that could be done. And I'll be honest, I'm not sure there's often people who understand it well enough within organisations to even then, you know, dish it out to, to yeah. share with the people that, you know, are sitting around them. And I think that's a big part of it and why it's so important to recognise the need, but also to get that expertise if it doesn't exist within your organisation. There's lots of, you know, 
there's lots and lots of help out there and experts in this field. I think, again, some of it tying a little bit back to, to sort of the whole COVID situation with, with the sort of the mass working from home, it's sort of exposed a lot of organisations just to sort of gaps in their skill set within their business, things they didn't have. People were then being asked to get involved in areas that they've never been involved before, whether it was advising on product, where it was, whether it was procuring product. And I think it's then sort of exposed a gap that organisations have got. But now I think what they're able to do is actually reach out to a whole range of, of sort of experts in that field um, from an assessment perspective, who who they can call on, who can give them what they need, but it's it's being prepared to reach out to those people, make contact, and go. We need some help with this. This is not an area we've really got involved in before, but we now recognise we have to. You know, we, we've heard things around the Great Resignation, etc. We're tying lots of different themes in here, but I think it will come down to as well. Individuals will make a choice where they work. And what they are provided with and the conditions that they're provided with by their employer will help decide whether someone stays with an organisation or moves somewhere else. Am I valued? Am I being provided with? Whether it's accessories or whether it's service, whether it's advice that allows me to be productive and healthy. And I think it will play a part in deciding where people move is what am I provided with by my organisation? Yeah, definitely. And I think it comes back as well to, um, you know, the legislation piece, because, for instance, in the UK, you mentioned the, the HSE. Um, but if you've got a global organisation or one that spans across several countries, um, the, the legislation can be very different in some countries to others. And in some, there's not an awful lot around well-being. But they're still your employees. And if you care for them, they can care for your business. Yeah, absolutely. As you say, the, the, the sort of rules and regulations vary. And, and some, you know, we've always sort of looked towards the Scandinavian countries, the Benelux countries. They've always been perceived as the sort of the leaders in looking after the health and well-being of their of their staff. And if you actually look at sort of the area in which I operate in sort of in the accessories area, the leading manufacturers of a whole range of product tend to be based across those two regions we mentioned across Scandinavia and Benelux. I do feel as if it's sort of filtering through. I do feel as if organisations are beginning to take it a lot more seriously, but there is still a very, very long way to go to, to ensure people are sort of really looking after their staff and providing them with what they need. There will be people out there who potentially listening to this podcast, are, you know, in the future, Jody, who will be sitting there in pain at work. I mean, I, I saw something yesterday quoted and it was figures from a couple of years ago that roughly a third of all sick days are down to musculoskeletal issues now yeah it's not as simplistic to say give everyone give everyone all this kit that will resolve all those problems but a good proportion of that will be tied into the fact that someone hasn't been provided with something that allows them to work in a in a healthy and productive manner. So you know, there's a there's a number there. Organisations are looking at levels of sickness. There's that sort of carrot there. Can we, there's a third that you can potentially tackle by taking just the health and safety of your 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 staff more seriously from a musculoskeletal perspective. Yeah, and I think that's where the proactivity comes in as well because 
you can't wait for people to say, I don't know, I've got a sore wrist. Is there something that can help me? Yeah. Because if people have no concept that there is an alternative or that there is support there, the likelihood is they'll either just struggle on or they will end up taking time away from work. So if you proactively share um, tools that are available, alternative solutions that are available, certainly ergonomic assessments that work um, and all that kind of stuff and where people can get more support if they're unsure, you know, what what to do for the best for themselves. Mm -hmm. That that's just a win win all round, surely. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, we, we touched on before we talked about what are some of the things that we see and we both touched on sort of laptops flat on tables. But laptops is a classic area that you can really sort of showcase and highlight the sort of the benefits that the, that are there to be taken advantage of. I always think a laptop is it's a mechanism to carry a keyboard and a screen. It's not a workstation. So if you look at some of the HSE regulations or guidance, I should say, what they're saying is if you're using a laptop for a sustained period of time, which is about an hour, what you should then be doing is introducing a laptop stand to raise the screen. We touched on this earlier, a separate keyboard, and then you're looking at the inputting device. But you think all those organisations who could be proactive, who know that all their employees who are working from home are using a laptop, Therefore, you can sort of get ahead of any potential problems by assessing their needs and providing them with something. It doesn't have to be a specific brand. It has to be something that does something to the screen that alleviates some of those issues we touched on. We mentioned the bowling ball before, the neck and the shoulders, etc. You can get ahead of those issues. If you know your staff are working on a laptop at home, get ahead of the problem provide them with some sort of assessment, provide them with some sort of accessories, and you potentially alleviate those issues actually arising later down the line, causing sickness, causing abs people to be absent from work, et cetera, et cetera. So I think something that's, you know, really sort of clicked into my mind there really is that anyone who's providing their employees with laptops should provide their employees with a work kit. So that is yeah. a laptop. That is a laptop riser. Yeah. That is a keyboard that works for that person. So you may need a few different ones. We can talk a little bit about that. And that mm. is a mouse type device that works for that person. If they need one, we can touch on that. But um, yeah. so that should be a kind of core standard, even if in the office you have the every workstation set up with a keyboard, mouse and a screen. And we don't really tend to see docking stations as much anymore, but certainly, mm. you know, cabling to connect. But even then, I'm, I'm going to just say it again, the education yeah. is so important. I have to say the amount of times I've walked around offices where, granted, every desk has got a screen that's functional, all the right cabling, a keyboard, a mouse and people. And I mean, dozens of people on one floor have pushed it all aside and they've put their laptop on the desk yeah. and they're just working on it. There's just no concept until I used to go and nag over people's shoulders. Yeah. Um, but there is just no concept that it's bad for them, literally not identified at all. And they potentially, those people, and I saw a situation probably two or three months ago, I was in central London, and I saw a very similar situation, a hot desking area. So they got clear hot desks. Their policy was clear hot desks going forward because of all the, all the sort of the, the sort of the, you know, the COVID things and, and the way they want to work going forward. All the, all the desks were totally clear, but they were all sat there. There must be 20 or 30 people who sat there all day, laptop, 
hunched over, head forward, ex- exactly the same situation you saw, but tie that back to what we just said. Look at the HSE regulations. Those people were doing, they were working for a considerable, a sustained period, not considerable, sustained period of time, identified as an hour, but none of them had got anything. Now, did they were they aware that existed? Did they know how to use it? Was it an education piece? Was it an employer's responsibility? Had they gone and asked for something and they hadn't been provided it? Whatever it is, they're carrying on working in a, in a sort of a, a posture that is going to create problems. Those will be the people at home, who, when they get home, I should say, who will say probably to their family, to their spouse or kids, oh, my neck's a little bit sore today. Or, God, I've got a bit of shoulder pain, you know, maybe putting it down to something else, maybe putting it down to the fact they've done some sort of sport or something else they've done, where actually not realising that what had caused it was the way in which they'd been working that day for the previous X number of days, working in a, in a posture that really is creating and causing those issues. Yeah, and I think, you know, just going into some of the sort of more specifics of equipment, I guess, mm. um, and we can hear a bit about what backer provide as well. But um, I think it's also really important to know, and it's not to overcomplicate it. So I don't want yeah. those that are decision makers um, to think you know oh my god you want me to offer everyone sort of 12 of everything um but it is really important to recognize that one size doesn't fit all so it's actually a false economy to provide a product that you consider a standard because Mm. if that product effectively ends up bunged in a cupboard or in a you know in a wee bin um that that's a false economy anyway so it is about making sure something works. I mean, I'm sitting here right now. I have a short keyboard. Yeah. Basically, I've got really short arms and I can't use a full length keyboard and a mouse. It's uncomfortable for me. Mm. So I have a short keyboard. I have a laptop riser. It is actually a backer one. I've got a laptop okay. riser. Well done. Um, you know, I'm sitting on a, a correct chair. And because of my height, I suppose my legs aren't that long either. I've also got my footrest. And so I sit correctly, my back's supported. Um, and I don't experience any pain working for these sustainable periods. And actually, I have to say, I won't pretend a decent task chair isn't uh, is inexpensive, but I have to say, especially for the longevity and amount of time you can, you know, retain your kit for, my workstation setup was you know, extremely affordable. And I think that's sometimes what panics people a bit is they sometimes think if we don't go for the, you know, the sort of cheapest keyboard and the cheapest mouse and whatever chairs we can buy on bulk that are technically, you know, a task chair and so they'll they'll do the job, we won't be able to afford it. We won't be able to afford to do the right thing. Mm. And and I think sometimes that's a bit short-sighted, especially when you think of how long people keep their kit for. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I think you're right. I think that there are some basics. As I say, there are lots of products, there are lots of brands out there. You know, again, it was a subject we were kicking around at a, at a conversation I had yesterday with one of the sort of the, the leading um, chair manufacturers in the UK, we were talking about such a subject. And what we all agreed was is that actually there isn't a right or wrong product. It's 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 finding the right or right product for you. So there are lots of options out there. You know, there is not one product that will that will resolve all the issues that will work for everyone, be it a chair, be it an inputting device. So it's a case for me of identifying what is the what's the 
what's the product that's required? What, what what functionality do you need it to deliver? And then breaking it down and going, OK, so, for example, the two main themes I would say we look at from an ergonomic perspective, Jody, would be is getting a screen at the right height and working between the width of your shoulders. They're the two sort of um, pieces of sort of advice I would always recommend. Get your screen at the right height, work between the width of your shoulders. If you can then just find equipment within that that does the job that suits you, that's what you're looking to achieve. You know, like we said before, if you can stop people leaning forward with the head, if you can stop pe people reaching out, um, get them working between the width of the shoulders. They're the two main things. How you get there and what you use is really up to the individual. So, you know, you could look at a product that we manufacture or one of our competitors. It's not going to work for everyone. You've got to you've got to identify what you need to do and give people options within that. Yes. You know, one of the frustrations I do have, and I mentioned it to you previously, is, is that when you go to exhibitions or shows, a lot of the time, the first question is, how much do, does it cost? It's frustrating because the, the, what we're looking at is trying to add value and we're trying to add health and well-being to an individual. It's not just around how much it costs. So, again, you know, think beyond price. Think about what values are going to bring. Is it going to make my employees more productive? Therefore, it pays for itself. Is it going to ensure that I have um, a lower staff turnover? So therefore, we're having fewer disruptions within our organisation. Look at it from that perspective. Don't necessarily look at what's the price on the price tag. Think about what value is it going to bring to our organisation? So again, it's that whole cost versus price piece, isn't it? In terms of, you know, it might you know, it might cost us that to invest. However, what's the return we're going to get from that? Yeah, definitely. And I think there's a few things in that. One, of course, is potential absences that are avoided. Two is productivity, because if you've got tools that actually work well for you, mm. you know, you crack on, you can, you can, you know, get on with a task in hand. Um, but also, even if, and I'm just going to use some simple numbers just for the ease yeah. of the message, even if, you know, um, you could buy a very standard keyboard for just £20, especially, I don't know, if you're buying a lot of them. But some people require an alternative that's £100, for instance. If the average life cycle of that keyboard was five years, it's only actually £20 a year per person for that piece of kit yeah. that you're investing. And if you think about the productivity and how much for your business that person is worth, then actually, if you look at all of their kit, you're never going to be kind of outsold. It's it's, yeah. it's always going to add value. And another thing I'd say about positioning, because this is something that's so important, um, is, unless there's a medical reason, knees at 90 degrees. The yeah. amount of people I see with their legs in very strange yes. <laughs> kind of positions when they're working. And at the time, and it's fine to move, but at the time, we're talking about sustainable, like sustained periods here. Um, people might feel like that's their comfortable position, but mm. you've got to think about back support. You know, you're connected from your toes to the top of your head. You're connected, and everything sort of looks after something else. So, 90 degree knees are so important, which is why I use a um, footrest. footrest. But yeah. that's that's just another thing. So, I mean, your chair as well. You know, I, I love my chair. I won't say who makes it because there's lots out there. Yes. But it is about one that works for you. And in actual fact, 
I personally can't use some chairs um, because I have to have a flat seat. Yes. And some have a kind of dished shape to them, which can work for an awful lot of people. It doesn't work for me. And I also personally need a seat that I can slide back and forth a bit like a car seat. Um, because that's what works for me just because of my own shape and I've found a chair that works very very well and I'm very very comfortable and I have had pain in other chairs and sometimes I've tried three recommended chairs until I found the one that helped and so I just stick with the one I know that works for me and for years it lasts and then eventually I'll go and source a new one of that one because if it's not broke don't fix it. You mentioned education before, Jodie, about ed- how we should educate people around sort of um, the, all these things that are out there to help them in the workplace. But chairs is probably the the biggest one. It's not my area of expertise, but I know having having spoken to a lot of people in the chair industry, one of the one of the things that they are trying to do is educate people around how do you adjust a chair, how do you adjust it to the correct position for that individual, you know. Look at your chair now, and I'm looking at my chair now. People see lots of levers, and they go, "I don't know what this does. I'm not too sure." A bit like adjusting the car in, in the, the seat in your um, in your car. But the ability to adjust the chair is really, really important, especially if you're working in a shared office location or you're working in a hot desking environment, because you know you could be five foot zero, um, you know, weighing in a six and a half stone. Someone uses that that same chair the next day could be five foot 11 and 14 stone and different dimensions etc correcting your chair or adjusting your chair to you to you is really really important because the if you carry on working how someone else had set the chair up that's going to cause further problems so that's one of the areas i know the the sort of the, the chair manufacturers are really keen on is to educate people as to don't be concerned about adjusting a chair don't worry about all those levers this is what they do. This is what you need to achieve. So, again, you mentioned education. It's really important from a chair perspective that people know how to adjust a chair and what they're looking to achieve from those adjustments. No, saying that, I have a message for chair manufacturers. OK. Not all of them, but some chairs and I have carried out ergonomic assessments for people before um, and some chairs are very difficult, very complex to adjust mm. for yourself. So, for instance, um, I think some manufacturers have tried to allow such a breadth of adjustment for each element of the chair that mm. it actually just makes it more complicated and people not, aren't sure when it's right. But for instance, if you want to do it for yourself and you don't know how much to turn a particular lever, you lean forward to turn it. You then lean back to see if that actually is what you needed it to be. And it isn't. So you lean forward and adjust it. You lean back (laughs) and it isn't. So the simplest thing, and part of the reason I love the chair I'm sitting on, even though I actually don't share it, no one's allowed. um, But it's because all of the levers have numbering on them. And so what you do, and you can, and it's brilliant for hybrid work in this kind of thing, because if you're sharing workstations and you are sharing chairs, even if you've got one that was actually set up for you, it's different mm. if it's a bespoke chair because it's visibly different, for instance. And of course, you know, hopefully you can put some signage and stuff on it. But as a rule, if you've got a, 
one of the what is considered standard office chairs but it has been set for you as soon as you're out of the office or you know busy period someone else comes and sits there meaning no harm they try and adjust it for themselves you can't get it back to how your ergonomic assessor did it it's really tough sometimes so when they've got numbers on them and you know and you can note them all down that you've got a three a five a seven and a ten yeah and where they are you can literally rock up to any chair you do your three, your five, your seven, and your ten. You sit on, you go, yep, yeah, that's how I have it. And then you check that the height's where your feet should be. Brilliant. And it's so simple. But I have to say, from a user perspective, makes a world of difference. And from an ergonomic one, even if you think your chair, as in from a manufacturer's perspective, is one of the best on the market, if a user can't get it to do the things you intend it to do, it doesn't yeah. do them. Absolutely. An expensive chair can cause as many can cause as many problems as an inexpensive chair if it's set up correctly or being used incorrectly. And I would say this to businesses as well. When you are selecting um, a chair that you plan to actually put out across your office, um, consider two things. One is that user interface with the chair. But the other thing is as well to also bear in mind, again, one size doesn't fit all. So, yeah. for instance, some people need a smaller width chair. Some people need a wider width chair. Some people need um, uh, an extended gas lift. So the you know height extension um, is a bit different. Some people need a neck support. Now, some chairs are very much bespoke depending on uh, medical conditions, maybe recovery from an operation, all those kind of things. Yeah. So that is different. And sometimes they really do have to be um, prescribed. A, you know a very particular chair and there are companies out there that can really help you with that um if anyone's interested actually get in touch with be people smart because we can point you in the direction of people that can really help yeah. you to get there um but if you are planning to have you know your standard please do think about the, the user mm -hmm. interface and not just it looks pretty or you can buy red ones that go with your decor because mm -hmm. they just don't serve the purpose and any task chair you're going to buy um that has the correct adjustments and so on they are an investment so you may as well get it right and i think as well jody just again on chairs don't buy a chair off off the page as it were i think there's lots and lots of the of the furniture chair manufacturers have showrooms lots of, of organizations throughout the uk who have sample stock you know, I know one or two or probably more than that, numerous partners who we would work with from an accessory perspective who keep a wide range of chairs. They will have showrooms where you can go in. They will sometimes go to your business. So they're the experts in that field. You know, go and try a chair. You wouldn't buy a car, I think, unlikely to buy a car off a page on the Internet or a catalogue. You go and test drive it. I'd encourage people to do the same with chairs. And there are lots of people out there who can give you lots of options and lots of expert advice as to what's the right product for you as an individual or an individual working within your business. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Um, I've seen it before where organisations have attempted this, but mm. sometimes what they've actually done is they've got in, say, four different types of chair, got people to come down and sit in them and yeah. vote for their favourite. And then that's the yeah. one. And actually... <laughs> As much as it's nice to involve people and, and usability testing is important for anything, mm. um, certainly from an accessibility perspective. But 
you know, if you end up getting even 100 people come down and test these four chairs and it turns out that 45 of them was, the, you know, the most that liked one particular one, there's no science to that. It doesn't no. actually tell you what is going to work, especially if these people don't understand ergonomics. They might just like the look. They might yeah. find it was a bit softer on the seat. It's quite nice. Yeah. That's not really the answer. So definitely no. do get some professional advice. And the thing is, there's lots of it. Like we've, we said earlier as well, there is lots of advice out there. I'd just say ask for advice when it comes to whether it's furniture, whether it's accessories, ask people. They are there to support, you know, and we as an organisation, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, we we, we provide a huge range of, of products and services, but we can provide you with advice as well. You know, and, you know, we're there. We're there. There's lots of partners and dealers and experts ask for their help. Isn't you know people are one thing I've found Jody with the industry in which that we operate in there are lots and lots of good people out there who want to make people's experience in the workplace healthier and more productive and more comfortable so absolutely get in touch with the people out there who who are the experts who can give you some really good sound advice before you get involved in in purchasing anything. Yeah, absolutely. So on that note, I know chairs aren't your area of expertise yeah. and I don't expect you to recite the um, back of catalogue. But just yeah. for people that obviously aren't so aware of the sort of equipment that's available and certainly um, if they're not aware of back Rockhausen, do you want to just give some examples of the kind of equipment that you provide? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Jody. So if you think we, we, we look at all DSE workers, all display screen equipment equipment workers. So that will go from anyone who's using a laptop, whether one using a tablet, anyone using, and I know they're not as frequent anymore, maybe more of a standalone um, computer in, in an office environment. So we will provide products that will make your experience of working with those pieces of technology more healthy and more productive and more comfortable. So it will go through from things like laptop stands, Things from keyboards, mice, monitor arms, um, it, it, uh, monitor stands, um, document slopes. And that's an interesting area. That's an area that I think is not particularly well known is, is what, what is, a doc, is a document slope? And I spoke earlier about getting people to try and think about working between the width of their shoulders. Think of all those businesses or organisations you've been in where people have had paper all over the office, all over the desk. And they're spending all day twisting from left to right and up and down, etc. This is a bit of a, a bit of a sort of a hidden gem, I think, is a document holder. So if you're using paper, it puts the paper in front of you between your screen and your keyboard and allows you to work in a straight line between the width of your shoulders. So it's one of the areas that I'm constantly talking about and sharing this product is, is something like that. It's a very, very simple product to look at. But it adds a huge amount of, of value. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I've tried. I don't actually use one. I've got to be honest. I don't use a lot of paper, but um, mm. I have tried one, and it does make a difference. Even, yeah. even when you're literally, I mean, if you were copy typing or anything, because everything's in a straight line, yeah. it does just make. I know you said that, but it makes such a difference when you're, you know, when you're trying to get tasks done because everything's literally right in front of you. Um, absolutely it's so much more um, pleasurable um also i think the other thing to bear in mind is sometimes when there's equipment out there people might have tried and tested or you know been able to actually um see touch and feel one 
but it's important to understand the kind of breadth and even I mean Stephen I don't know if you'll remember but a few going back a few years actually um on one of our meetings and I was talking about how I'd like to be able to choose a vertical mouse but my hands are really small and I literally can't because I can't grip it and reach the buttons um I'm I'm making myself sound like a borrower I I am actually yeah I am quite small um but basically it was only when you told me that you the vertical mouse um one of them we I guess we can say which one um came in a smaller version yeah it was like a game changer I mean I actually now use a central mouse um in front of my keyboard but at the time, it was a game changer because I was finding a, I guess what you'd call a standard mouse, really uncomfortable to use. But I didn't think that vertical was an option for me because I had tried three different ones. Yeah. And they was all just too big. It's, it's I mean, speaking about mousing or input devices, I mean, the thing is, the individual shouldn't necessarily have to change the way they work to fit to, to choose the device. There are so many devices out there. So, you know, we think of a mouse as a traditional um, what we call a horizontal mouse where your palm is flat to the table. But really, they are they can be a product that cause a lot of issues. So you mentioned a vertical mouse, Jody. That's where you you work with your hand in a handshake position. You can have a central mouse that you're talking about where the mouse fits in front of the keyboard and you operate it in front of you within the width of your shoulders. There's trackball devices, there's precision devices. There are so many products out there. And this is where we're saying before, it's very difficult to, to put a range of products in, a very narrow range for an organisation that's got lots of employees in lots of shapes and sizes, lots of um, requirements that an individual might have. It could be, are they right-handed, are they left-handed, do they have a small hand, a large hand, etc. There are, there are products out there for everyone. So organisations, like you said before, really would encourage people not to come up with a narrow list of products because you're just going to extensiate some of the problems. Be open. There are lots of things out there that can that can address virtually every issue that's out there by finding that product that works. And, they, and the, those products are out there and, and are available. And another thing, actually, that's come to mind, um, which is kind of another myth to bust, is I often hear from people, um, even ergonomic assessors, that they expect if someone's got a disability, then they already know what they would need because, you know, they've used it before Mm. and so on. And that is such a myth. And I'll give you an example. Mm. Um, The amount of times I've reached out to people who have low vision and told them that high contrast keyboards exist. So you can have a keyboard with bright yellow keys and large characters. Yes. So, you know, if your vision is low, it makes it so much easier for you to be able to see the keys. And these have been showstoppers for people. And they may have had low vision for several years or longer. But because you don't see them as a standard, which I understand, but they never, ever knew they existed. They'd never... Mm. Google to see if there was such a thing because they genuinely never thought they existed and then it really is a showstopper and I get feedback about how much more productive people are how much more included they feel in just literal general ways of working and it's it's such a simple adjustment and to me that's not really an adjustment it's just that's the kit that that person needs Um, but I know in some you know some people will class it as an adjustment or an accommodation but that's because they considered this standard keyboard they gave everybody yeah. as perfectly sufficient. 
And it but might yes. be a great bit of kit. And it might be a great bit of kit for 99% of the people in that organisation. But what about that 1% of the organisation who it doesn't work for? It makes them less productive. It makes them uncomfortable. So actually, it's only a great bit of kit if it's a great bit of kit for that person. It, you've got to have that flexibility to go, actually, it'll work for a lot of people, but we need to we need to be open and we need to look at what does that individual need and what can we go and find in the marketplace for them? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll be honest, I don't have uh, figures, but, you know, when we say 99%, I've got to be honest, people out there, it's very unlikely it's going to work for that amount of people. No. Um, and it's not even based on uh, demographics related to disabilities, because a lot mm. of people that aren't disabled do need alternative kit purely yeah. for their well-being and to keep pain at bay. So um, there, there's not, a, you know, a sort of definitive link between the two. But saying that, when it comes to being disability inclusive, there's absolutely a need, and it comes back to workplace accessibility, it, there absolutely is a need to make sure people have got kit that's fit for purpose for them. And you may call that a work, you know, an adjustment or an accommodation, but if you actually do that from day one, or if someone goes through, you know, maybe a life change, accident, illness, whatever, if, if there's a process that's explicit and easily um, obtained for people to know how to get changes to their kit, mm-hmm. everything just carries on. People yeah. are included, productivity carries on, absences are reduced again. I mean, yeah, it really is a winner. I think it's just important that we start thinking a bit differently about how we provide um, what we consider is somebody's workstation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that that workstation is that individual's place for five, six, seven, eight hours a day. We have to be able to make it working, make it work for them. People shouldn't be, you know, uncomfortable, um, finding it difficult to do their task. And it goes back to what I said before, uh, Jody, what I said, you know, our sort of mantra as a business is sort of, you know, work smart, feel good. That's what we're looking to try to achieve for, for everyone out there. And there is something out there that can achieve that for everyone it's just trying to identify it um and providing that person with that right bit of kit that changes their workplace or their workstation for them so it's working for them absolutely and i mean at be people smart we support businesses as well to put in place workplace accessibility um you know processes and policies and um, ways of working so i'm hopeful that um if anyone does have any questions, they can reach out. <laughs> you can have a no obligations chat with me if you um, need it, because ultimately it's just about change making. It's about yeah. transforming workplaces to be more human centric environments because then everybody's a winner. So, um, yeah, please think about that. A few questions for you, Stephen. Yes. Um, I always ask this question of all of our guests. OK. So if you had a magic wand, Harry Potter style, okay. what would you love to change if it was one thing you could change to make workplaces sort of healthier places to be? What would your change be? Well, we, I th- two. Got two that immediately come. Go on, and they're actually things we've discussed already. I think image imagery that we discussed earlier, actually showing people what, what a a more productive and healthy workspace would look like as a counter to what we currently show them. Everything we said, we touched on about laptops and people working on sofas, getting rid of that, get showing people what does a healthy workplace 
actually look like at the moment. We're showing them the wrong thing and it's making it worse. The second thing, I guess, would probably be that we touched on it again or previously was around HSE um, and guidance, trying to make it more regulatory in terms of to make sure that more and more people are being given those assessments that they need. I think at the moment it's still left, it, it, it's a little bit left up to each organisation as to what do they provide. So I think actually providing people with that assessment that, that gives them either the check to say you've got the right setup or identifies changes that they would need to make. So they would be the things I would be would be looking at. How are we projecting healthy workspaces and how are we projecting how people work visually and actually making sure that people have better access and are more frequently being assessed to make sure they've got the, the right um, setup in place? Yeah, I really like those, actually. I don't feel like I've given you any um, brain space to think of the uh, best case studies you want to share. <laughs> Maybe I should come back to that. Maybe we can come back to that and tag that on a little bit later. Fair enough. Um, one thing, though, because, you know, people might want to find out more about um, Backer, Elkhausen and your products. Yep. Also about you. Um, so how do they find you? But how do they find Backer as well? OK, so um, me personally, as we talked about LinkedIn before, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you want to reach out to me, look for Stephen Howe. I'll... Uh, gladly connect to you. Um, as an organisation, we've got a, um, a website, so www.backerlkhausen.com. I think we'll probably put that one, Jodie, in the uh, in the comments or the notes. Yeah. It's a tricky one to, uh, to spell. We've got a lot of information there, not just on the products that we do, but also the research and the development and the white papers we produce. So again, it's not just a case of us just producing product for the sake of it. There's a lot of science and research that goes into how do we design and manufacture our product. So I'd certainly push you towards our website. Again, like I said myself, follow us on LinkedIn. We're very, very active on, on LinkedIn as a social media mechanism for getting our, our story out there. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, you might find more people uh, popping up on Wow Ergonomics now as well. Yeah, good. Um, everyone's well. More, the more the merrier on Wow Ergonomics. So... Is there anything sort of hot off the press or anything new that people should be looking out for as well? Yeah, we've we've launched a new range of laptop stand products, which are just some enhancements on what we've done before. But the real game changer. So we've got a new product that's being launched in the next couple of weeks, which is called Energy by Light. So it's a task light that sits um, on your workspace. And what it does is the, the light that it emits changes throughout the working day. So it's tying it in with your circadian rhythm. So tying it in with the, the, the light generated by the sun to give you energy and a boost throughout the working day. So it starts off with a very red colour in the morning. It changes towards a light, bright white around lunchtime to give you that sort of boost. And then it changes again in the evening um, towards that red uh, orangey red bright colour at the end of the day and it's it's all app operated but it's it's there to help with the energy that you have how you feel throughout the working day but also help you outside of work with your sleep so it's all tied in with the your your natural circadian rhythm um, because a lot of the ways that we operate is with 
um, artificial light. This is actually bringing natural light into the workplace. So this is a product that we've got is being is being launched now. We've got a webinar on the 11th of May where we're going to actually have our CEO and the designer of the product letting people know more about it. So we'd be uh, we'd welcome more guests to that if you were able to join us on the 11th of May. Thank you very much. Um, that's actually really different to anything yeah. I think I've seen. So I am kind of intrigued. I'm, I am sitting here thinking, do I want a bright red light even in the morning? Um, so I can't really picture it. I've got to be honest. So I, I need to be able to see this. One question on that, and I know it's mm. not released on the market yet, but from the usability testing that's happened so far um, across the development, what, what's been the take on it? I mean, evidently it's, it's been successful because it's now being released. Yeah. But what, do you know what kind of comments have been made? I mean, we haven't. I don't think there's been as much as any sort of official studies been released as yet. But I think sort of it, what it has proved it, on a smaller case study group is people have felt the benefits of that throughout the working day. Um, it's it's been designed by a guy called Stephen Edwards, who's worked in the lighting industry for a long a long period of time, and he's the guy who's come up with the concept of it. And then John Van Hooft, who's our CEO, he's then sort of brought the product and helped develop the theory into the actual product and then bring it within our portfolio. So it, it sits nicely with what we do from a from a health and well-being perspective. But as I say, 11th of May, make sure you're free, Jody. Dial, uh, join us for the um, join us for the webinar. Find out a lot more about it. Thank you. Um, I'll be honest, I'm not sure what date this is going out, but if it goes out before that, then yeah, yeah hopefully. But if I'll, but I'll, if not, what we'll also do is we will all our webinars are recorded. So we will if people do pick up on this afterwards, we'll record the webinar and provide them the link to so they can go back and watch it at a later date. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, I'm not going to badger you about case studies, but is there anything else you would like to share with our listeners today? That's a good question. I think be prepared if you're working for for your employer, be prepared to challenge and ask for support for what you're doing. I think a lot of people maybe sort of suffer in silence regarding their, their workstation and how it makes them feel and how productive they are. So my, my sort of takeaway from this would be, Jody, is to encourage people, speak up, ask. Your employer is obliged to provide you with an assessment and a workspace that's going to be healthy and productive for you. So put your hand up and, and ask for support because I think employers will provide that. But maybe people need to go and ask a little bit more than maybe they have done in the past. So, again, don't suffer in silence. Go and um, go and ask for support. And um, I'm sure it will be provided. It's Stephen, I really like that, actually. I think what is really important is even if you don't know if anything's available or you don't even think that the thing you need might exist on the planet, the reality is you won't know unless you ask. Absolutely. And it may be that the specific thing that you're kind of got in your mind, maybe that doesn't exist, but there may be a solution that is going to be suitable for you that you just hadn't seen before. Absolutely. So, Ask the questions. There's no such thing as a silly question. Worst case scenario, you get told there's literally not a solution available to give you what you wanted or what you needed. Um, best case, you've got a far more productive workplace that's comfortable for you and looks after your wellness. Absolutely. I like that. Thank you very much. Um, 
so I just I want to say thank you to you, Stephen, obviously for your time today and your insights. And it's always nice to chat. <laughs> I get the, yeah, I get the really enjoyed bit. it. I really really appreciate the invite. So as I say, thank you for inviting me on the show, Jodie. And uh, yeah, we'd, um, I'm sure we'll be. I'm sure I need to replicate it and get you back on Wow Ergonomics very soon. <laughs> and I can sure. grill you. Oh, great. Thanks. Um, and to say, of course, thank you so much to all of our listeners. I really hope you got something out of this, whether, you know, you're someone influencing or delivering ergonomic solutions within your workplace or whether basically you work within a workplace, even if it is your home for now, to make sure you've got what you need. I hope it's been helpful. I'd love to hear from you. Um, but yeah, if anybody needs to, please do reach out. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please rate us and leave us a review. We really want to know what you think. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the amazing guest speakers we have lined up.